Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Last week, Pastor Roy started a message from Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17, entitled, New Life in Christ. Today, Pastor Roy continues that message and starts to talk about some of the characteristics that are to characterize our new life in Christ. Today, Pastor Roy will talk about compassion and kindness. We encourage you to open up your Bibles and follow along with Pastor Roy. So, wow, isn't it great to be in God's house this morning? Um, I just enjoyed uh, the music this morning, and I do every Sunday, and I really enjoyed uh, Chris and Maria. What a wonderful number and wonderful job um, they did this morning. So thank you for that uh, ministry to us. Take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 3. We are picking up with part 2. Last week we started about new life in Christ, and we are going to um, just briefly mention some things that we talked about last week. I would encourage you, if you weren't here or weren't able to hear that message, it should be on our, our website. You can go out and listen to it, and I would encourage you to do that. But just to give a quick uh, highlight of what we talked about, we talked about taking off the old self, that the old self needed to be put to death. And he talks about that in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, and following all the things that we need to get rid of out of our lives that are dishonoring to Christ, that do not please him. And they need to be put to death, and we do that by the Spirit of God. And then he talks about putting on the new self in chapter 3, verse 10, that Jake just read a moment ago. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. And we who have accepted Jesus Christ have a new life, we have a new power residing within us in the person of the Holy Spirit that we can live a godly life in a pagan, godless world. God has called us to do that. And we have the ability and the power to do that in the person of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And so because of that, uh, we look at the theme of Colossians. The theme is the supremacy of Christ in all things. And we talked about what that meant, that Christ is to be first in our life, first in our thinking, first in our actions, first in everything that we do because of his wisdom, his authority, his power. He is supreme. He is to be preeminent in our lives. And we looked at the supremacy of Christ being proclaimed in chapter 1 through creation and all the things that God made and other things as well. And then we looked at the supremacy of Christ preserved because they were trying to bring in empty philosophy and through rituals of keeping Jewish feasts and various things that they were doing, not realizing that all those feasts and everything were pointing to Christ and his supremacy and so it needs to be preserved, and the supremacy of Christ needs to be practiced. That's where we are in chapter 3. Last week, we talked about our position in Christ. We have been given a position in Christ. We are holy people because of the position we've been given in Christ. Three things we talked about, that we are a chosen son of God. God chose us in our sin and called us out of our sin. 
an amazing thing. And then we are a chastened of God. We are holy because God has cleansed us of our sin. And because of that, we are a chaste son of God. We talked about that at length. And then we are a cherished son of God. He says that we are dearly loved. Notice in verse 12 of Colossians chapter 3, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Those are the three things we talked about in relationship to our position in Christ. Knowing our position in Christ is essential to knowing how to play our position well. In other words, how we practice at that position will determine what we understand about our position. Do we understand theologically what our position is? The position that God has placed us in. And then how practically we live that out. So now he begins to give us practical application of how we live out this position in Christ. And here's what he says. Clothe yourselves in verse 12. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now when he talks about clothing ourselves in this kind of thing, he's talking about sinking into a garment. And when we put that garment on as a believer in Jesus Christ, each one of these are a piece of garment that we are to wear. But here's the challenge for all of us. We are just not to put that on when we come to church on Sunday morning. We're not just to put it on when we are around the pastor or an elder or a church leader or a Sunday school teacher. We are to actually wear these clothes 24-7. They're never to be taken off. We put them on and we wear them continuously. No matter who we're with, who we're around, we wear them continuously. That's what God has called us to do. So when we put these on, it's a very serious thing that we put them on and we wear them. And we have to grow in them. I've had some clothes that I don't want to wear anymore. First of all, I don't fit into them. (laughs) Second thing is they're out of style. You know, remember the sweater that you thought was a beautiful sweater, and today they wear them to ugly sweater parties, right? And some of them, they're so ugly, you don't even want to wear them to that, because they're horrible. And I remember when I, I think I shared with you at one time when I went to, first went to college, I was an older college student, and I was so out of touch with dress, it was unbelievable. I went to, up to the dorm, and I got dressed to go out and play basketball, And I had these coaches' shorts. You remember those. They were about right here. They came up to about right here. And then I put on my tube sweat socks that came up to here. And and the guy looked at me and he said, Roy, push those socks down. (laughs) He was trying to help me. And I went out there and I couldn't believe they had socks down to here and their shorts down to here. And it was the exact opposite. And I was so out of touch. And I wonder, though, sometimes as Christians, do we get out of touch with the clothing that God wants us to wear on a regular basis that we are to wear? These garments are to be visible in our life. Not just something we say we do, but they are to be visible 
in our life, in front of our wife, in front of our children, in front of our family, extended family. Some of you are going to be around extended family over the holidays. And you already know it may not be the most pleasant thing because there's already tension or conflict or trouble from past things and these clothes are not going to be necessarily easy to wear. And yet God calls us as Christians to wear them and wear them well. So they are to be visible and put on and never taken off. So the first one he gives us here talks about our practice in Christ is compassion. Exercising mercy and tenderness toward others. Now I will be the first to confess maybe the reason I struggled in putting this message together is because these hit home. These are areas I need to grow in. And I'm sure there are areas you need to grow in as well. So compassion. He says in 1 Peter 3.8, Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. To exercise mercy, we have to have a deep awareness, a deep awareness of and sympathy for another person's suffering. If we do not understand the suffering that somebody else is going through, we will not demonstrate the compassion that we need to demonstrate. And so we have to have a deep awareness of their suffering. And we enter into that suffering with them in compassion. We come alongside of them and we embrace them. And we care for them. It is showing grief at the misfortune of someone else. It is heartfelt. It is a sympathetic, and here's a word we don't use much, a sympathetic lamentation. Lamentation is actually one of the books of the Old Testament. But lamentation carries the idea of a passionate expression of grief or sorrow, and it can include weeping where you just sit and you weep with someone. And there really isn't anything to say. One of the things that Dr. Cole shared with us as young pastors when I was a young pastor was, he said, when, when somebody is going through a real difficult time, like the loss of a loved one, he said, what young pastors tend to do is talk too much. He said, all, there, all that you can do is, is be there for someone and your presence alone, showing love to them and concern, is, is, it speaks volumes more than your words. Because there are no words to bring necessarily what they need at that moment. So here's the question. How then do we cultivate a compassionate heart? We're not going to get through all these today because I don't want to just run through them. We need to think about them. How do we cultivate a compassionate heart? Because I thought about this for my own life. How, how do I actually grow in compassion? If that's what I'm supposed to be and wear, how do, I, how do I grow in it? I put down three things I think that are essential. The first one is by knowing and loving God. That's the first one. We have to know and love God in order to cultivate a compassionate heart. Here's what John wrote in 1 John. Dear friends, let us love one another, 
for love comes from God. That's why we need to know and love God, because love comes from him. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love, boy, this is powerful, does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us, his compassion. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So that's why I say knowing and loving God is essential to cultivating a heart of compassion. Because when we know and love God, we get to understand his heart and his love for people, and we will start loving people the way Jesus does. That's what God wants in all of us. We understand what God did for us in the person of Jesus Christ. Listen to this in 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we, that's me, that's you, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So let me make a summary statement. We talk about the supremacy of Christ in relationship to this book, meaning God being first in our lives, in our thoughts, in our actions. Here's a summary statement. I'm going to make two. The supremacy of Christ in my life, in other words, him being first and foremost, the supremacy of Christ in my life will determine the authenticity of my love how real, how genuine my love is. The second statement I'm going to make is the supremacy of Christ in my life will also determine not just its authenticity, its genuineness, but also its simplicity. The simplicity of my love. You say, what do you mean by simplicity? I mean my love is simple. It's not complicated. It's not hard. I don't look at someone and say, are they lovable? Are they, are they worthy of my love? Are they worthy of my compassion? Does this person, do I need to show Christ to them? It doesn't matter who they are or where I'm at or what I'm doing. All, everybody is worthy of God's love. And so it's not complicated, it's very simple. And you're around a relative that maybe rubs you the wrong way or you have conflict or whatever, you are to show the love of Christ to them no matter how belligerent or difficult they are. It doesn't matter. We're to show the love of Christ to them. That's a challenge. We have no hidden motives, no hidden agenda, that we're attempting to achieve. Therefore, it's simple. You're not in a relationship for merely what you can get out of it. 1 John 4.21 says, And he has given us this command, Whoever loves God must also love his brother. That's what God has called us to do. How else do we cultivate love? By not only knowing and loving God, but we cultivate a compassionate heart by looking at others through our Father's eyes. When I can look at somebody else through the eyes of Christ, 
I will look at them the right way. So will you. Doesn't matter skin color, doesn't matter ethnicity, doesn't matter language, doesn't matter culture, doesn't matter education, doesn't matter economic status. I will look at them through my Father's eyes, and Jesus, when he saw the crowds, the Bible says, was moved with what? His theological understanding? No. <laughs> he was moved with compassion. That's what moved him. That is what is going to move us out of our comfort zone and out of our seat that I don't just have Sunday religion. I don't just have a Sunday morning religion. It impacts me on Tuesday morning. It impacts me on Thursday night. It impacts me. And then I begin to look at people. Who has God placed in my path that I need to show love to? The, one of the greatest examples probably in the New Testament is the story of the Good Samaritan, right? The story of the Good Samaritan comes up because the priest and the Levite saw the man who was beaten, half dead, and naked along the street, a person that we would hands off, and yet the Good Samaritan went to him and he got bloody and dirty and he changed his schedule to minister to this man. He poured oil into his wounds. He didn't have any money to go to an inn. He paid for him to go to the inn. That's compassion at its best. The Jews and the Samaritans hated one another, probably worse than the Browns and the Steelers. <laughs> they hated one another. And yet, he goes through looking. Well, how did he do that? I think he looked through the Father's eyes to see the man who was hurting. That's what he did. And that's what we need to do. You see, compassion will set aside those racial differences. It sets aside social differences. It says, who has God placed in my path today that I need to help or encourage? And in the body of Christ, we see a great example in the person of Christ himself when he gathers around the disciples and he takes the position of a slave and he begins to wash the feet of the disciples. He took the position of a slave. That's incredible to think about. And it says at the beginning of that, he did that to show them the full extent of his love. The full extent of his love. To take the position of a slave, a dirty, meaningless, titleless person who would do the dirtiest task. And Jesus does that. And what does he say? Go and do that to one another. He didn't necessarily mean wash their feet. He's saying, serve one another as I have served you. Serve one another. We do that through looking at our Father's eyes through looking at his eyes. The third way we develop a compassionate heart is by experiencing God's grace and suffering.
That's how we will grow a compassionate heart. God has been working on me in that very area. Some of you know that I have had ringing in my ear since April. It's still there. I have been using sleeping aid to help me get to sleep at night. And I've just been able to come off the sleeping aid in the last two weeks. I praise God for that. He's helping me deal with it, but you know what he's done in the process? Remember back when I asked for prayer? I said, God, teach me. He is, little by little. And it's amazing when you start looking at things and you see things in your life that are simple, that it's like, how did I not see that before? I went back through and I I journaled. I began journaling some of my thoughts back in the end of April and May. And I started reading back through those journals. And you know what word kept popping up over and over? Compassion. God, give me compassion. That was the word. I looked in I looked in our closet one day and I saw that I was a hog. I had most of the closet space. My, how does that happen between a husband and wife that the husband has all the closet space? And I apologized to my wife. I said, I've been selfish with the closet. It may sound silly, but doesn't it start at home? I mean, we want God to change us from the inside out. And I apologize for my selfishness. And I realize that selfishness kills compassion. It just absolutely kills it. And it's only through suffering that sometimes God teaches us about compassion. So if you are going through a difficult time in your life, guess what God wants to teach you? Compassion. I really believe that. Or maybe a personal relationship with God. I didn't have that in my notes because I wasn't sure I could share it or wanted to. And maybe that's why I was struggling to put everything on paper this week. I'm like, God, I don't know. (laughs) Do I share this? Do I not? Um, But I think it's good to be transparent. And so these three things I, I write down as challenges to my own heart. And I trust will be a challenge to your heart. Here's what the Apostle Paul said. To keep me from becoming conceited, pride, proud, because of these surpassing revelations, 
there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then am I strong. Pride makes us hard. It hardens our heart. Hardens the arteries spiritually. Humility makes us soft. God gives grace to the humble. We'll look at one more here. Kindness. Sweetness of disposition. Warm-hearted, considerate, thoughtful, unselfish, Kindness is practical helpfulness. It could be saying a kind word to someone, repairing something for someone, or taking them out for coffee or lunch. It is the opposite of being rude and harsh. A kind person is as harmless as a dove. In Paul's day, to be kind was a title of honor for a mother grandmother, nurse, whatever the case might be, an excellent husband, parents, good child that emphasize goodness, mildness, and generosity. In fact, in the second century, they said the spectacle of Christian love was so stunning for pagans. Tertullian, who is one of the church fathers, Tertullian, said they called Christians, not Christians, but Christiani. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right, but the reason I say that is because the word Christiani is where we get the word for kindness. It's made up of mildness or kindness, and that's what they called Christians, because they were so kind. Rudeness kills relationships. John Gottman is one of the world's leading researchers on marital relationships. He, looks for the, he said he looks for the presence of contempt or kindness within the marriage. Here's what the research has found. Contempt, listen to this, contempt is the number one factor that tears couples apart. People who are focused on criticizing their partner miss a whopping 50% of positive things their partners are doing and they see negativity when it's not there. People who give their partner the cold shoulder deliberately ignoring their partner or responding minimally damage the relationship by making their partner feel worthless and invisible, as if they're not there, not valued. And people who treat their partners with contempt 
and criticize them not only kill the love in the relationship, but they also kill their partner's ability to fight off viruses and cancers. Being mean is the death knell of relationships. But on the flip side, he says kindness, on the other hand, glues couples together. Kindness. Kindness, he says, is one of the most important predictors of satisfaction and stability in a marriage. It makes each partner cared for, understood, and validated, and feel loved. Jesus makes an interesting comment in Matthew chapter 11. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And then he says this, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, what does that have to do with kindness? A lot. Because you see, the yoke that was placed on the, yoke, on the oxen could be very rough. It could chafe the neck. It could scrape and scratch the neck. It could be so tight in binding that it could actually hurt the animal because of its roughness and harshness. And what does Jesus say? He's saying, my yoke is actually smooth and gentle and kind. In other words, all of the commands that God gives are not rough, harsh, mean, cruel. They're kind. They're gentle. And when we put those commands on as Christians, that's what we're going to be. We're not going to chafe people. We're not going to rub them like sandpaper. Oh, we will the world, but I mean each other. It breeds unity, oneness, togetherness, a harmony. You see, some people are so bent on taking the role of judge, jury, an executioner. They judge the person. They are the jury and condemn them. And then they want to execute them. <laughs> and God's called us to kindness. Whether it's family, spouse. Maybe your relationship is not kind. And God wants to heal it. Maybe there's tension in your family or extended family and God wants to heal it. Maybe there's tension at work. God wants to heal it. Maybe there's tension with somebody else in the body of Christ. God wants to heal it with kindness. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. As you bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment, we have been given a wonderful position in Christ. He tells us that he chose us 
before we even really thought about him. Before we were even born, God chose us. I can't, I can't even understand that or grasp that. And if you want to, like I say, hear more about that, get the message from last week. Because, you know, the, the chosen part is incredible. And then he made us holy and dearly loved. What a position. And out of that position then, God has called us to practice these very things in our life. Compassion. Kindness. And no, we don't get it all. I accepted Christ as a young boy, but he didn't give me all the compassion I need. And the reality is, I still don't have all the compassion I need. Or all the kindness I need, and neither do you. It's something that we grow in from now till the day Jesus takes us home. But here's the thing. Do you know and love God? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Because out of that will flow the compassion. You can't see others through the Father's eyes if you don't have His Son in your heart. You don't have the Holy Spirit. You can't just develop that. Oh, you can show some kind of compassion and some kind of kindness, but here's the thing. You're doing it for you. You're doing it to look, try to look good to others. And here he's saying that I do it Christians' motivation to do it is out of the supremacy of Christ in my life. Major difference. Major difference. That I want God to be exalted. What does he say? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. The reason we show the compassion and kindness is that God might be glorified. That's the goal. That his bride, the church, would shine in the world. That's what he wants. And it starts in the home. Is the reality of the supremacy of Christ true at your address, where you live, with your spouse, with your children? Is it real? There's no time for games. <laughs> We've got a world that is dying and lost and hopeless apart from Christ. Personal relationship with Him, if you have that, how about your compassion? How about your kindness? I know when I preach on this, I know what I'm going to be challenged with this week, compassion and kindness. And you will too. The enemy will come at us and want to start to attacking each other when we need to love each other. What is God saying to you? What is he wanting to challenge you with in your personal life? If you don't have a relationship with him, I'd be glad to meet with you afterwards and talk with you about how you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, 
M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.